Welcome to the Equine Veterinary Education Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Equine Veterinary Education Podcast. My name is Justine Corey and I will be the host, host for today's podcast. And I'm inviting Anat Schneiderman-Torben, a doctor of veterinary medicine from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Hello, Anat, and take, thank you for being there today. Hello, thank you for inviting me. Uh, before we start talking a bit more in depth about your article, could you please introduce yourself a little bit so our listeners can know more about you, please? Yes, uh, so as you said, my name is uh, Anat Schneider-Mantovan. I'm an ECIM resident in the Hebrew University, the Poet School of Veterinary Medicine, Veterinary Teaching Hospital, and I have a PhD in antibiotic resistance in companion animals. Okay, thank you, Anat. And that will lead us nicely to the topic we're going to discuss about today, which is your article. Um, the title is Preoperative and Intraoperative Risk Factors for Post-Anesthetic Pulmonary Edema in Horses. Um, my first question would be that, could you please uh, briefly describe how pulmonary edema is characterized in horses? how it is diagnosed, and what can be the consequences to which it can lead? Yes, of course. So uh, pulmonary edema is defined as an abnormal accumulation of fluids and salute in the extravascular tissues and spaces of the lung. The diagnosis is determined by typical clinical signs, thoracic imaging, and arterial blood gas analysis. Clinical signs basically include coughing, increased respiratory effort, and characteristic appearance of frothy nasal discharge and respiratory distress. The thoracic radiographs reveal a diffuse bronchoalveolar pattern, and ultrasound may reveal B-lines, and arterial blood gas reveals hypoxemia. So the consequence is oxygen diffusion impairment and reduction in lung compliance, which may lead to acute death. It's basically a cumulative diagnosis, as any of these findings can be found due to other etiologies. The problem of diagnosis of pulmonary edema in a retrospective study, like the one that we did, was raised by the reviewers, whose input significantly contributed to our manuscript, and its important limitation in this retrospective study. Thank you, Annette. Um, you also mentioned that it's uh, an uncommon condition in horses. Would you be able to evaluate how often it occurs in horses clinically? Well, basically, we don't know. That's why we performed this study. Based on our study population of equine patients over a period of three and a half years, we had 850 surgeries of adult horses under general anesthesia and pulmonary edema occurred in 2% of recoveries. So I guess that findings in other centers may provide different data, but this is the data that we retrieved. So what would you say that were the main aims and purposes of your study? Since post-anesthetic pulmonary edema in recovery period is fully reported in horses, our aim was to determine the preoperative and intraoperative risk factors and to describe short-term survival of horses suffering from this syndrome. Thank you. That's very interesting. Um, what would you say that were the most important or relevant parameters to retrieve, according to you, in your study 
And how did you assess the choice of these parameters? So since this phenomena is poorly reported, we wanted to retrieve all the available data from the medical records. Therefore, we chose all parameters that are commonly recorded in our surgical cases. And this includes the demographic variables, such as signalment, including the breed, age, sex, weight, and pregnancy, the medical history and the physical exam, the laboratory data, including the PET cell volume, total solids, electrolytes, urea, lactate, creatinine, and blood gas analysis. We recorded also factors associated with the surgery and anesthesia, such as the duration of anesthesia, host position during anesthesia, specific surgeon, and specific anesthesiologist. Also factors associated with therapy, fluid management, and plasma administration, and of course the outcome for short-term survival. Uh, do you have any idea or explanation why the proportion of females affected is much bigger than males? Indeed, there were 64% of female, 24% of intact males, and 12% of girlings. In our general population uh, of our patients, we treat and operate more females, basically because their value is higher and owners are willing to invest more in females. In any case, this parameter was not significantly associated with pulmonary edema, therefore we did not investigate it further. And I would ask you the same questions about the breed, because it stated that 59% were Arabians, 24% were quarter horses, and 17% were warm blood horses. Um, how would you think that the relationship between the breed and the prevalence of the condition could be explained Yes, so the Arabian breed is the most represented breed in our hospital, probably for the same reason. Israel has some of the best breeding farms for Arab horses in the world, and especially for Arab Egyptian horses, which are even more expensive. In other studies performed in our institution, this breed was associated with increased prevalence of some infectious diseases. But in this study, this parameter was not significantly associated with pulmonary edema, therefore We did not investigate it further. It just it's the population that we normally see. Thank you. In the results, it was stated that 17 cases of pulmonary um, edema were in, identified. Um, isn't it a big number for a condition that is considered to be uncommon? We are a teaching hospital and many of our cases are emergency cases. So this may lead to a higher percentage of pulmonary edema than that which may be seen in centers uh, which perform shorter procedures on healthier patients. So this might be the reason. Okay, thank you. Um, now concerning the clinical signs, it was stated in your article that diagnosis included various conditions most of them involving the gastrointestinal tract. Would you be able to explain why conditions involving the gastrointestinal tract are mostly represented and how could it be linked to the pulmonary edema condition? Yes, so in Israel, the equine sport population or industry is less developed compared to Europe and the UK. Therefore, we relatively perform more GI surgeries compared to orthopedic surgeries. In addition, the surgeons in our department perform some surgeries in standing positions to avoid complications uh, involving general anesthesia and recovery from it. 
So uh, therefore, colic surgeries are most represented as surgeries performed under general anesthesia in our institution, as you can see. And gastric reflux was associated with pulmonary edema in multivariable analysis. So in my opinion, the link is the compromised systemic condition of the horses. Now I will ask you a couple of questions more in depth about the parameters that you decided to assess during the study. Um, did you think in the beginning of the study that there could be a link with the duration of anesthesia in a post-anesthetic uh, pulmonary edema? If yes, then how or why? So the weight and position of the horse during the anesthesia results in pressure of the GI tract on the diaphragm and the lungs. And this may increase the risk of some such complications. We investigated the anesthesia duration as a risk factor, and we hypothesized that the length of anesthesia could be a risk. And we found that anesthesia in pulmonary edema cases was longer, was 210 minutes versus 180 minutes in controls, but this was not significant. And this finding may be confounded by the severity of the disease with worse disease leading to longer surgery. Your article mentions, mentions that administration of crystalloid treatments was significantly, significantly higher with horses who turned out to have pulmonary edema. Uh, what could be the relationship between the administration of crystalloid treatments and post-anesthesia or pulmonary edema? Do you think it could somehow lead to development of pulmonary edema? If yes, then how? We assume that the link is not direct, but it's a result of the fact that the horses with severe colic were treated with more fluids. We basically found out that IV crystalloid treatment before admission was associated with the post-anesthetic pulmonary edema in univariable analysis, but treatment during anesthesia was not. It might be due to the fact that more severe cases of colic are treated with fluids in the field before referral to the hospital, and the majority of our cases in this study were colic cases. And now what about the link between fresh frozen plasma administration and ascarid infections? Could you explain the strong association between those factors in the case of pulmonary edema? Yes, so it's very interesting. Surgical treatment for ascarid infection has a high incidence of complications, including colic peritonitis, intestinal rupture, focal necrotizing enteritis, and the adhesions. And these may lead to high mortality rates. Actually, in the last decade in our hospital, these infections are treated by manual evacuation of the ascarid infection into the cecum, and this significantly improves survival in horses treated with ascarid infections. It was reported by Tats et al. from the EVJ in 2012, and nevertheless, due to the high risk of complications and associated endotoxemia, we treat these horses with fresh frozen plasma to prevent endotoxemia. That's very interesting. Thank you. Um, I can see in your article that you, you wrote that there was no difference in intravenous antibiotic administration during general anesthesia. Would you say that this rules out the fact that the development of pulmonary edema could be related to any bacterial condition in the lungs? Well, 
I think it's impossible to claim this based on our data. Most antibiotics given for horses in our study were prophylactic, and they were given only one or two doses before general anesthesia and before recovery. We assume that the pulmonary edema is not an infectious pathology, but this is a very interesting topic to further investigate. Now I would like to talk a bit about the, um, to ask you about the risk factors and the outcome analysis of your study. Um, It was written in your article that the presence of gastric reflux prior to general anesthesia is a strong positive risk factor for pulmonary edema in this study, uh, which is something you mentioned a bit earlier. How do you think that this could be explained? What could be the relationship between these factors? Yes, I think that the cases which presented with gastric reflux were more severe and more systemically compromised, including, for example, strong intestinal strangulating pathologies. I think that the compromised systemic situation may have a contribution, may have contributed to the development of post-anesthetic pulmonary edema. And in this study, there was a certain number of horses who had fresh frozen plasma administered. Uh, You also explain in the article that it was administered um, in case of common, uh, it's common in critically ill horses because it contains coagulation factors and antithrombin. In this case, it was administered because some horses had endotoxemia. Uh, what was the endotoxemia associated with and where could it possibly could have come from? Yeah, um, again, here, this is probably a result of our case selection bias in the study having more colics. So colic, specifically intestinal strangulation, is a very common cause of endotoxemia in horses. The lipopolysaccharide of gram-negative bacteria stimulates the release of mediators of inflammation including prostaglandins, histamines, serotonin, kinins, platelet-activating factors, and others. In our study, the presence of endotoxemia was not specifically addressed. However, endotoxemic cases presented with more severe clinical signs and required treatment with fresh frozen plasma. And still about the administration of fresh frozen plasma, Uh, You stated an article from Beer and Silverstein in 2015, which says that in human and small animals, the use of FFP in critically ill patients is controversial. Uh, But then I was wondering, what about horses? Because in horses, you said that it's commonly used in critically ill horses. Uh, So why is it not considered to be controversial in horses and in small animals and humans it is? Well, basically, it it is also controversial in some cases. In equine medicine, plasma products have been used to treat failure of a passive transfer in neonatal falls, sepsis, fabulopathies, such as anti-endotoxemic agents, and to provide the colloidal support. The fresh frozen plasma was studied in enterocolitis cases. It was published in CVJ 2009 by Cooper et al., And it was concluded that the use of natural colloids may be superior to treatment with synthetic colloids. And a study published in the JVIM in 2009 by Wilson et al. reported complications and side effects in 10% of blood transfusions. Therefore, it should be definitely considered. However, this treatment is essential in some cases and should be assessed individually for every patient. 
You made a comparison of transfusion-related acute lung injury in humans and horses. Uh, it has not been reported in horses, but they hypothesized that a similar syndrome might occur in horses. Which syndrome would that be? Could you please specify and tell us a bit more about it? Sure. Uh, in humans, the trali, which is transfusion-related acute lung injury, is a life-threatening syndrome that may develop during or within six hours of any blood product transfusion. It represents an acute hypoxemia and non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema during or after the blood transfusion. Available evidence strongly suggests that leukocyte antibodies present in donor plasma are the predominant mechanism in this syndrome. These antibodies lead to recipient neutrophil activation with uh, activated neutrophils inducing the endothelial and alveolar damage in the lungs. The syndrome has been described in rodents and ovine models, in canine clinical cases, but not in horses. Considering our results, we hypothesize that a similar syndrome to humans can occur also in horses, but of course this should be further investigated. In your study, the factors associated with pulmonary edema um, included acute blood loss. Indeed, you stated that acute blood loss leads to reduction in circulatory volume, stroke volume, and systemic vascular pressure. Uh, I was wondering why administer fresh frozen plasma containing anticoagulant factors and facilitating coagulation if the horse already has acute blood loss? First, for a bleeding horse, whole blood or pectel should be administered to maintain hemoglobin concentrations and oxygen carrying capacity. But whole blood is not always available because it can be stored for, stored for long periods and pectel products don't have coagulation factors and plasma proteins, which are also lost with bleeding. Fresh frozen plasma serves as a source of coagulation factors. It's a natural colloid fluid and has the unique potential to restore endothelial glycocalyx, thereby improving the microcirculation. Another factor that could contribute to pulmonary edema that you mentioned in your article, indeed, is the damaging of the glycocalyx structure that you just mentioned. You wrote that in severe sickness, the glycocalyx structure is damaged, increasing lung vascular permeability, which may contribute to pulmonary edema. What kind of sickness are we talking about here? What do you think are the mechanisms that lead to damage of the glycocalyx structure? Severe sickness in our cases may include endotoxemia, strangulating, GI lesions, severe dehydration and azotemia, and also significant paraascarid impactions, which may damage the lung parenchyma. These mechanisms for glycocalyx damage are not completely understood, but they may include the degradation of inflammatory cells, such as macrophages, cytokines, growth factors, and hemodynamic parameters. The glycocalyx is also damaged by volume overload, and this may be the association we saw with fluid volume administered. You just mentioned ascarid impactions. Indeed, several horses had it in your study. Do you know the reason for that? Uh, would you be able to describe the life cycle of these parasites or the etiology of the pneumonitis that they may cause? 
Sure. Uh, Ascarid GI impaction was the pathology that led these horses to surgery in our cases. The adult parascarid stages are found preliminary within the small intestine of equids, and they also reproduce and um, lay eggs, and the eggs are excreted to the environment. In the pasture, the fertilized parasite eggs embryonate, and the larva develops within the eggs. And it is this egg containing a second stage larva that is infected. Once ingested by a foal, the eggs hatch in small intestine and the larva penetrates the small intestine, intestinal wall where they migrate to the liver within a week of initial infection. Within two weeks of the initial infection, the larva enter the lungs via the pulmonary circulation and this stage pneumonitis may occur. The larva are coughed up and then swallowed by the foal and makes its way to the small intestine two or three weeks after the initial infection. You wrote in your article that um, we suggest that there might be an association between subclinical pneumonia caused by the parasites and pulmonary edema, which may develop in horses during surgery. Could you please talk about this association? What would be the mechanism behind? Well, fibrotic liver lesions, lung lesions, hyperpnea, bronchiolysis, and lobular pneumonia have been reported in experimentally infected foals. Therefore, we suggest that the heavy parascarid infestation may cause actual damage to the lung parenchyma and contribute to hypoventilation and pulmonary edema. This hypothesis should be further investigated, of course, in post-mortem inspections of the lungs, uh, which was not included in our cases. Now I would have a few questions about the position of the horses during the anesthesia, some things that I found interesting. Um, you said that the position of the horses during anesthesia was, not, was also not associated with pulmonary edema. But also, it was stated later on in the article that dorsal recubency during anesthesia is associated with decreased ventilation, increased pulmonary shunt fraction. Therefore, one could easily assume that dorsal recubency would be related to development of lung conditions, I think. Thus, how do you think that this sort of paradox, if I can say, could be explained? Yes, uh, it's very interesting. We hypothesized that dorsal recumbency will be associated with the pulmonary edema, actually, but it was not significant in our study. Uh, atelectasis and respiratory function are less impaired in horses in lateral recumbency. We assume that uh, there is a mechanical aspect involved in pulmonary edema, and this finding may indicate that the underlying mechanism is not mechanical. However, uh, there are many confounders associated with positioning of the horse, for example, the colic surgery, which is always performed um, uniquely in dorsal recumbency under general, and this may also affect the results. You also wrote that in anesthetized horses, impaired oxygen diffusion from alveoli through the interstitium to the blood has not been identified as a significant contributor to hypoxemia. However, it might be a factor in the presence of pulmonary disease or edema. Uh, how could it contribute to it? Well, there are five main causes for hypoxemia, uh, which are decreased pressure of the oxygen, hypoventilation, decreased oxygen diffusion, 
ventilation perfusion mismatch and shunts. In healthy anesthetized horses, hypoxemia is typically caused by VQ mismatch. However, in horses with pulmonary edema, the increased fluid volume in the interstitial spaces interferes with diffusion of oxygen from alveoli to the capillary. The presence of pulmonary edema damages the oxygen diffusion because the accumulated fluid increases the effective thickness of alveolar wall, and therefore they decrease the area of gas exchange. With all the parameters and results that you obtained throughout your study, could you please describe or explain to our listeners the mechanism of postoperative pulmonary edema, please? Yes, in our opinion, and based on our study, post-anesthetic pulmonary edema has a complex mechanism. First, it has the systemic component, which may include endotoxemia, decrease in circulatory volume, and acidemia. In severe conditions, the glycocalic structure of lung endothelium is damaged, which may increase lung vascular permeability, therefore may contribute to the syndrome. Also, during general anesthesia, lung atelectasis occurs, which impairs ventilation and causes hypoperfusion. In addition, negative pressure pulmonary edema also contributes uh, to this syndrome, and it is caused by upper airway obstruction and rapid negative intrapleural pressure, which increases due to attempts to inspire in phase of obstruction. This might be a complication during recovery period after general anesthesia, although we basically try to decrease and avoid it um, as much as possible by recovering horses with the endotracheal tube. Finally, um, atelectotrauma from repeated collapse and re-expansion of alveoli leads to damage to the alveolar wall, and this may also play a role in this etiology of post-anesthetic pulmonary edema. Now, could you please give to our listeners a um, summary or conclu conclusion of your study? Sure. Uh, in summary, we found that gastric reflux is a predictive factor for post-anesthetic pulmonary edema and should be considered during anesthesia and recovery protocol implementation. Fresh frozen plasma administration during general anesthesia is also a risk factor for post-anesthetic pulmonary edema, which may be influenced by transfusion-related acute lung injury, and parascaris species may be associated with post-anesthetic pulmonary edemia due to the presence of pneumonitis, probably. How would you say that this study might be useful on a clinical aspect in the future? In our opinion, awareness of the risk factors found in the study may aid in early detection or even prevention of post-anesthetic pulmonary edema by more frequent and strict monitoring, use of lung protective ventilation strategies, and prophylactic medications. The study may indicate that caution should be used with fluids and fresh frozen plasma administration during surgery, and also the study may be the foundation for future prospective studies examining the findings that we reported in this study. Thank you, Anat. Um, that will be the end of our podcast for today on the Equine Veterinary Education Podcast. Thank you for everyone who has been listening to us. If you're interested in reading the article, you can find it, the link uh, just under the podcast. Thank you, Anat, a lot for today and for answering the questions. That was very interesting. 
Thank you, Justine. Thank, I want to thank also the editors and the reviewers for uh, publishing our study. And um, also thank you for the opportunity to present our study here. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. We hope to hear you soon again and wish you a very good day. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this Equine Veterinary Education Podcast. More on the subjects discussed in this podcast can be found online at wileyonlinelibrary.com forward slash journal forward slash e.